This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Everything's customizable these days. Your trading platform can be too. With Think or Swim, you can customize screeners, charting, and stock forecasts so the market is always tailored to you. You can get started at tdameritrade.com slash thinkorswim. It's Monday, May 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me, Mr. Andy Cross. Good to see you. Chris, happy Monday to you. Happy Monday. Happy Star Wars Day for all the nerds out there. Happy Star Wars Day. Fantastic. I didn't uh, thought about that. You know, That's may, great. may the fourth be with you. Um, yeah, it is, all, it is also you. the Monday after the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Yep. And um, we're going to get into retail in a little bit, but we're, we're going we're gonna to start with the annual meeting. And the headline, and there are a few things we're going to get to, but the headline is the airlines that yep. United, American, Southwest, Delta, he sold them all, cut them all. We knew he was selling some, and at the meeting we learned they're all gone. Yeah, and the, actually, in the in the Q one, which is the quarterly annual filing, he he had they had he had talked about it. He listed that they sold six and a half billion in equity sales in April, and so the assumption was that's you know a lot of the airlines, right? So um, we knew he was selling them. We knew that um, he was concerned about them, and clearly this was a a sign that he has uh, he had lost faith. And he and he he talked a little bit about the logic, Chris. He talked about how it, he he admitted a few times that it was a mistake and it was his mistake and um, you know they 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 paid seven to eight billion for those four um, significant stakes obviously and in what he thought was a billion dollars in, in equity earnings and felt that number was likely to grow over time and now considering what has happened in the airline industry over the last few months that that that. Um, Clearly, the environment has shifted. He had recognized that and just had soured on the prospects of that investment, considering all of the the uh, help the airlines need, um, billions and billions of dollars from the federal government to, to help them sustain through this time, and not just in, through this time. It'll probably be for for a, you know a couple of years, maybe until we um, seem some sign of normalcy, but who knows what that even looks like, Chris. So I think he saw that and you could see it. It just, he does not, Warren Buffett through Berkshire Hathaway has not made a lot of investing mistakes. I, you might, and when I say mistakes, I mean lost money. Some certainly haven't done as well as he had expected. Clearly Kraft Heinz, for example, and others, but even his first go with U.S. Air uh, back in the nineties, which um, after that experience, um, he had talked about uh, having that one eight hundred number that he can call when he has a has an airline idea and wants to buy another airline. And then lo and behold, decades later, ended up buying four of them um, as a, as an airline aholic, as he called himself. Uh, that that I think that U.S. Air investment still made money. This was a loss, and now it's it's a real loss because they they sold the airlines and they they rung up that loss. And I think that just weighed on. Um, Warren because he does not like to lose money for shareholders. And you can see that in some of his demeanor, I think, throughout the meeting. Well, and this is a mistake he's made twice. Like it's 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 one thing to make a mistake in investing and learn from it and you know the jokes about you know the one eight hundred and that sort of yeah. thing. But the fact of the matter is he actually, you know, whether it was Ted and Todd or you know, people on his team, but he actually Said to himself, you know what? I'm going to take another crack at this, and I think that that has to make this sting even more 
if it was some other, like if it was Burlington Northern that just you know took a bath or something like that, I don't think it would sting as much. I think that's right, Chris. Uh, he 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 clearly took the brunt of this as he should. I mean, this was his investing decision. He mentioned that um, repeatedly and, and never talked about Ted and Todd when it comes to the airlines. Um, so I think he is feeling that sting more so than ever. Um, the airline business is much different than than today. Is much. Di- Sorry, the airline industry before the COVID pandemic, Chris, was in much better shape, obviously, just not from a, a, a structural perspective, but they are operating much better. They had finally found religion about how to operate an airline and, um, and run it, I think, more properly. And I think that was one of the encouragements over the last few years for him to invest in the airlines. And he started this a few years ago. This just wasn't last year. So he had been building up these positions uh, and so the airline industry was in better shape. And this, I think, obviously, I mean, he's Warren Buffett is a, is a thinker in probabilities that you can, his mind thinks in probabilities and he runs the probability numbers in his mind. And he looked at the airline industry and said, hey, this is seven to eight billion dollars of shareholder capital I can put to work and get a good, nice, healthy return when he's dealing with very large, significant sums of money. And he has to be very careful about how he puts that to work to get some kind of return. So he saw this as a high problem or a higher probability event when he looked at across the other investment opportunities. And clearly, with the COVID pandemic and the shutdown, that just is, is no longer the case right now. And like he said, he doesn't really nibble around the edges when or, or goes all out. And this one is in go all out category. Did it surprise you that he's basically not buying anything? That, that the other headline is he's still sitting on this massive pile of cash. Chris, that was a, a surprise for me. Now, as they disclosed in the in the 10Q, the activity was in the first quarter they bought about four billion in equity purchases, 1.7 billion in Berkshire stock, and then 2.2 billion or so in equity sales. Um, but if you look at the actual purchases of those over time and look through the quarter and how they bought those, that's what's really enlightening because. Uh, in January, they were buying. They bought 582,000 of Class B shares. And then between that period of February 20, 24th and February 28th, when the market first took its real big hit um, from the COVID pandemic, when the news really started to break, they, they bought $4.5 million worth of um, Berkshire B at an average price of $214 a share. But then in March, between the 2nd and the 10th, he only bought three hundred and. 20,000 or so Berkshire B at 214. But then here's the real surprise, Chris. When the market really took that dive on the 23rd of March and during that period, he didn't buy it all. And then he hasn't bought it all in April. So that was the real surprise when the when the market took that real dip in March that I think he was not more active in buying back his share and wasn't really active in buying back any stock. And he still hasn't been. If you look at his April, his, his April purchases, he's bought no Berkshire stock, and they've only bought about 400, $426 million in equities. And when asked about that, the meeting, Chris, Berkshire was like, I, I, or I'm sorry, Warren said, I, I don't, I'm not even sure what that was. That was kind of, that's just small potatoes for us. That may have been a little bit of Todd and Ted. He was very nonchalant about those buys. So clearly he has not been as active in the market. And that's, that go, I think that goes back to my opinion is this goes back to how he is feeling about dealing with the airline situation, the loss for shareholders, 
maybe the the stock didn't get quite as cheap as as he thought, even though it got down to 1.25 times tangible book value. I know he likes to see that at what below 1.2 times tangible book. But the key for me is two things, Chris, for the Berkshire the Berkshire buys is one is that he is looking at the future and he is uncertain for the maybe the first time in a Berkshire Hathaway considering the COVID pandemic and what that means for the next year or two of earnings power for Berkshire. So not sure really of the the, the intrinsic value considering he actually kind of said that and hinted at that at the during the annual meeting near the end. He kind of was like, listen, the intrinsic value has been hit because of what I did with the airline industry that Berkshire is worth less now than it was before. So I think there's some internal mind games he's playing with the intrinsic value. And second of all is um, capital and cash. And he just values cash so much in this situation, more so than ever, that he think I think he'd rather hold on to that than buy back stock or, or make other equity purchases. Well, and there are two signals in these two headlines, right? So the signal for the airlines, and not surprisingly, the four airlines that Berkshire Hathaway owned, United, American, Southwest, Delta, all four of those are down today. All four of them are at or near five-year lows. And so, that's a clear signal for everyone out there who's asking, is it time to buy the airlines because they're cheap? That's a resounding no. And then, the larger thing, to me, is just Buffett one of the greatest investors ever, if not the greatest investor ever, is looking at the market and saying, no, I'm not interested. Not at these prices. And and you're, you may be right about it may be the, the ripple effect of what happened with his experience with the airlines the second time around. But just as somewhat, put aside the airlines, the fact that Buffett's not buying anything is a little disconcerting to me. I, I, I honestly was hoping for a little bit more encouragement out of Uncle Warren. Yeah, Chris, so was I. I was, it was uh, the, the, um, the, the tone of the meeting, um, Whitney Tilson had said it near the end that it was, it was conservative. It wasn't like dour. He, at the very beginning, Berkshire, uh, of the meeting, um, Warren gave a little bit of a history lesson talking about the, the bet, don't bet against America, buy America. He talked about the long tenure of time when stocks had really not done anything after he was born. He gave a kind of fun lesson about that during the period of 29 to 51 when stocks really have been flat and, and what they went through. And then obviously what they've done since then and the, the wealth accumulation in America and just the value of investing in America over long periods of time so so it wasn't it wasn't dour per se but he he it was it was conservative it was that kind of thinking through like okay the, there's this is a different market than he has ever seen and he talks a little bit about that um, reference about the the fact that this pandemic Pandemics are are almost I mean, not a term he used. I don't think about a black black swan event, but you can see it playing into his mind, and an uncertainty about what this means for for equity prices um, in the near term. He continued to 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 be bullish on um, investing in America and on stocks in general, and said that repeatedly. But but there was this 
um, a, a little bit of a right hand and left hand feeling to the meeting where it was like, well, you're not buying now, but you're kind of saying like, don't bet against America. And you could see it just playing in his mind. And I think shareholders had the same question about as, as did I expecting him to, to put some of that cash more aggressively to, to use. And, and he didn't. So there's a little, little bit of, of that cautious behavior that we see him taking um, that I think is catching the market off, uh, catching investors off guard. And, and you see it in the stock price in Berkshire today. Last thing, and then we'll move on. And, and you're absolutely right about his tone. I mean, he, I think he was trying to strike as clear-eyed and optimistic a tone as possible. And yet, I was struck by the fact that he just, he, for the first time, he looked old. He didn't, like, he didn't look old a year ago, because a year ago, he was 88, and you see him at the meeting. And I just remember thinking last year, man, he doesn't look 88 years old. He looks 89 now. And, and maybe that's just this, he loves this event, and he missed it. He wasn't able to have it. I hope that was it. But th- that was that was part of what struck me too. Was I was like, oh man, he uh, like I just want to give him a, a a socially safe, distant hug to sort of pick him up because <laughs> he just the the man just looks down. Yeah, he could probably use one. Um, so ninety nine percent of his wealth and is tied into Berkshire. Um, his whole life is tied into Berkshire. Um, Hathaway, the the essentially he created the business. Um, he missed his partner, I think Charlie Munger. Nothing against Greg Abel, another vice chairman who works on the operating side, and I think did an admirable job on on um, speaking um, when he felt he had something to say, and and then letting Warren take the stage. Um, but he missed Char. I think he missed Charlie Munger, his his partner of of you know last decade since they really took over Berkshire Hathaway, and so that I think weighed on him. He just loves this event, man. Like it brings thousands and thousands of Berkshire shareholders to Omaha. He he mentioned, by the way, he mentioned the the concern of what not having this in this event is going how that will impact. The economy of Omaha, I think that weighs on him because he knows the importance that those businesses have, not just his own businesses like um, like the jewelry store and the furniture marts, but but every small business, hotel, around whatever it might be is going to be impacted by not having the event. I think that weighed on him. But I just think he loves getting people together to talk about Berkshire, celebrate the success, toss newspapers, have dilly bars. Um, play ping pong, all of those um, Uncle Warren uh, events and um, activities we, we're used to seeing. He loves that more than anybody. And at 89 years old, the fact that he can still go, you know, three, four hours taking questions and trying to answer them as best he can in a situation that is very foreign to him. Um, he even used slides, Chris. He's he had mentioned that he had never used he hasn't really ever used slides over his decades of teaching investment advice and having all the meetings and he put together some slides for the first time ever. And you could see them. They were very simple slides, no Berkshire framing around them. Um, so that was kind of fun to see him try to use those, but uh, it was just a different tone. And I think that, that just, you could see that in his demeanor. Um, you know, he's 89 years old, so I don't know how many more Berkshire meetings he has left. I hope he has many more, but um, clearly at that age, he, he wants to have as many as he can, like he wants to have them. And this one was not like that. Quick shout out to TD Ameritrade. In these unprecedented times, having access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions for today and tomorrow. TD Ameritrade is committed to providing you with a range of relevant educational content like timely articles, informative webcasts, 
and even access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. To learn more about their breadth of resources, go to tdameritrade.com slash markethub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. J. Crew has filed for bankruptcy. Uh, 500 stores, just shy of 500 stores, closed. And uh, this was news at the end of last week. We, we sort of got hint that this was coming. And I said to you right before we started recording today, this is the first, but this is not going to be the last. That we see in 2020, it, it's and it's unfortunate, but um, it's not a surprise to me that stocks like J. Crew is a private company, but it's not a surprise to me that stocks like American Eagle, Abercrombie and Fitch, Tapestry, um, uh, VF Corp, which is uh, the parent company of uh, North Face, they're all down today. Yeah, Chris, uh, more evidence that the, the COVID pandemic and the quarantines and lockdowns that we're all facing is impacting the the, the retail and, by the way, the commercial real estate space as well. And, and, and Warren Buffett had talked about both of those in the, in the annual meeting. Um, so, J. Crew, yeah, they, they've had filed for bankruptcy. I think the real um, maybe nail in the coffin, uh, to, to use perhaps maybe a bad metaphor, but a metaphor nonetheless, was the fact that the IPO market had really shut down and they couldn't take their Madewell business um, and, and, and IPO that to, to help get a little bit of juice and some funding and some capital into the business. And when that Basically, they couldn't do that. That was that was a troubling sign. So, like you said, they have, you know, um, hundreds of uh, J. Crew stores, hundreds of outlet stores, like 170 outlet stores, 150 maybe Madewell stores around the country, and no one's going in those. They're very few now. They do have an, a little bit of an e-commerce business, but on the margin, it just can't make up for what is going on and the loss of of um, revenues. And then cash flow, and when you have you know 1.7 billion dollars of debt on the balance sheet, um, that's just a very tricky situation to be in. I will note from the public side that it's interesting that they in 2010 2011, TPG and Leonard Green took J Crew private at about a three billion dollar market valuation, and I, I can't imagine it's near it's worth that anywhere near that, um, even before this, because the retail environment has been so challenged and, and um, competitive advantages are just are very faint in the retail space. And so, like you said, a lot of them are struggling right now. And, and J. Crew um, uh, uh, filed Chapter 11, announced all the, the, the financing that they had to arrange, basically, just to be able to keep some of the lights open, some of the lights on and some of the stores uh, open. It's going to be interesting to see if some of these, particularly in the apparel retail space, if if some of them start to get proactive uh, and look for buyout opportunities, because you know J, J. Crew has brand equity. They, like you know there there is a universe in which uh, J. Crew continues. Um, maybe it's part of a larger parent company. Um, maybe um, a. a Major retailer like Target or someone like that comes in and says, "All right, you know, at this price, American Eagle will will be the exclusive retail location for you, and 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 take out some of your costs and that sort of thing." But uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me if some of them started to pick up the phone and and hunt around for a, a buyer. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, J. Crew, Chris, they, they've struggled. It's been it's been the last few years. I mean, Jan Singer, who is the CEO, comes over from she. I think she was president of Spank. She has experience at Nike, Victoria's Secret. I mean, she has vast experience. Mickey Drexler was there, um, the famed um, retail executive for many many years. And then he was he was out. And then they had another CEO come in after Mickey Drexler for sixteen months before he left. And then Jan Singer joined. Uh, very talented people, obviously um, lots of insights, and it's just a very tough environment. Um, even before this, the retail environment, and we know what's happening with the likes of Amazon, um, the likes of other, st- take Stitch Fix, for example, just the competitive pressure that they are under is more fierce than ever before. And that's not going to change. That is just going to past the pandemic and past the quarantines, that is just going to continue to to um, elevate and evolve and um, become more pronounced. And so the retail space, you know, maybe it's acquisition, maybe it's mergers, maybe it's some kind of lifeline. Um, but it's I, I don't know how many private equity firms are going to go out there and start spending the capital to help save these businesses. Andy Cross, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks, Chris. Be safe, my man. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.